0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com/slash/slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, September 17th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film editorial director Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film senior writer and weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, Brad, we got a bunch of news stories to talk about from this past week. Uh, none of them are like. Huge, but we do got a lot of Star Wars to talk about. You know, we like talking Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, uh, let's talk about Cobra Kai. (laughs) Cobra Kai is one of my favorite TV shows on television. Uh, It used to be on YouTube. It's now on Netflix. So now, now no one has an excuse because it used to be on like YouTube Premium, which no one subscribes to. And now everybody subscribes to Netflix. So everybody should check out Cobra Kai. On Netflix I think what's the season that's coming up season four I think is getting released yeah and they're in the midst of developing season five which John Hurwitz who is the showrunner of the show uh, says that he's very deep into our season five planning several scripts and outlines have been written and we're definitely writing towards an end game which will hopefully be beyond season five so that to me, Brad, sounds like this is a six season uh, TV series, or at least in John Herwitz's mind. We'll we'll see, you know, how well season four performs on Netflix. And by we, I mean Netflix will see, and we will not get those numbers. But then we'll find out later if season five is the last season, if if it did well or not. Right. Uh, but the interesting thing here, we wrote this up on SlashFilm.com is that he was asking this Twitter Q&A that uh, could there be some other (laughs) Cobra Kai, Karate Kid universe shows possible? Uh, Actually, the person actually asked for a a Miyagi Sato prequel series. And he responded, we're battling around ideas for various Karate Kid slash Cobra Kai spinoffs. Some further along with uh, some further along than others. Won't spoil anything beyond that. Now, Brad, I know you've only seen a few episodes from the first season. Um, You've you've definitely seen the Karate Kid movies. Uh, The first season was the best (laughs) that Cobra Kai was. I think every subsequent season uh, has started off really shaky and by the end of it, gotten good. Uh, if that's a glowing endorsement, I don't know, probably not, but, um, I'm still really into it. And uh, one thing that they've done in, uh, with some of the, the seasons recently is they've done these like flashbacks to like prequel, like showing you how John Creese became John Kreese, uh, possibly, you know, so the idea of them doing a Miyagi prequel is not out of the question is, is is that anything you would even want to see brad
2: a prequel with like young mr miyagi
1: yeah him and his uh you know that guy sato that it, when it, i'm not sure if anybody has seen karate kid part two but daniel goes back to okinawa with mr miyagi and uh a rivalry from his childhood with his childhood rival uh, sato gets a uh free re Reign, reunited yes that's the word i was looking for brad um you've seen that one right
2: yeah yeah i've, I've seen the uh, all the original karate kid movies so I'm, I'm right there with you um i don't know it's it's one of those things where they've expanded the karate kid universe so much that like it almost makes sense for them to like dig back into it in that way maybe even have like an entirely new series, you know, focusing, focusing on that. Like, um, but I just don't know if it's all that interesting, you know? Yeah. Like, um, they, they've they already kind of like started to really like stretch out a lot of things. And, you know, just even as enjoyable as it is knowing, like even though I haven't watched the show, I've seen like the characters that they've brought back and how they've um, continued the story of a lot of characters from the, pre- the original movies. And it's fun to see them back, but it's also just kind of like, it's it's starting to feel a little spread too thin and it almost makes me sad that all these characters are still in this position to, to come back at this point and just trying to do the same old asshole things um but yeah so i don't i don't know maybe maybe maybe
1: <laughs> i just don't know what you could do that would be that interesting with miyagi i feel like miyagi is interesting when he has someone to train right yeah <laughs> So I don't – maybe Mr. Miyagi is not as – I mean, maybe young Mr. Miyagi isn't as wise. It it, it might be interesting to see where he came from and how different he was. But I'm not sure – yeah, I'm not sure how that fits in with – I mean, this show does try to – Kind of uh, upset your expectations of of these characters and stuff like that. So maybe that would be the way to go there. Maybe maybe Mr Mr. Miyagi was a bully when he was. I
2: just I just keep like whenever like ideas like this come along or like you know they 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 announce new prequel things. I always think of uh, Pat Noswalt's comedic bit about the Star Wars prequels when he's just like he's like I don't care about where the stuff I love came from. I just love the stuff that I love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's true. And that's one thing I liked about Cobra Kai is that, and I I know you've been, uh, you know, reporting on and you've followed like some of the characters that appeared. But the most interesting thing about Cobra Kai after the first season is actually the new characters that they introduce. And yeah, so it's not really the, you know, the rivalry between Daniel and Johnny. It's uh, it's th- these new set of kids. Anyways, um, let's let's go on from that '80s thing to another '80s thing, and I'm talking about Flight of the Navigator. Disney has been trying to remake this movie for many years, and before we started this podcast, Brad, you told me you have not seen Flight of the Navigator.
2: Yeah, it's something that's kind of just been outside, just outside of my. Uh, young pop culture awareness I, I i know about the movie and like enough to ma- have made a judgment that it seems like a movie along the lines of something <laughs> like the computer wore tennis shoes and that's been enough for me. like i don't need to go back and visit that because i didn't grow up with it so i'm probably not going to enjoy it
1: but it, it's uh it's about uh i mean it has a, a robot voiced by Wee herman or uh paul rubin however you want to uh yeah, I guess it's Paul Rubin. Um, and it's uh, you know, it's kind of disturbing for a kids' movie because there's a, a spoilers for What a Navigator. But the thing that kind of like this gave me nightmares, Brad, growing up, <laughs> is not the like you know alien spaceship or this robot thing. But at one point, this this kid, the main character, he gets um, he goes on the spaceship. And he goes off on this journey, and he gets put back on Earth. And when he comes off um, back at his house, eight years have passed, but it's only been like he aged a day. So his family had like, you know, gone on without it. Like his best friend has grown up. His I don't know. For some reason, that that concept to me was like so disturbing. It sounds
2: pretty depressing, actually.
1: (laughs) Yes. And it was Man,
2: uh it, this is this is a Disney movie, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was one of those weird uh, '80s Disney movies, kind of yeah, like nothing, Tron.
2: And nothing like a good Disney movie to make kids question their own mortality.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, anyways, I bring this all up because Disney's been trying to make this, uh, trying to remake *Flight of the Navigator* for years. They had uh, Colin Trevorrow attached at one point. Uh, that didn't work out, but now they are doing it. I think for Disney Plus, and they have hired Bryce Dallas Howard. Who uh, you know is reteaming with Disney? She's obviously um, an actress that we have followed her career for many years now. She has worked uh, with Disney Plus on The Mandalorian. She did an episode for season one, season two, and Brad, do we know she's back for season three? I'm guessing she is because probably. Yeah, um, I didn't really love her first season episode, but her second season episode was was so good uh what do you I mean you don't have any love for this this, this movie so I'm not, not sure if you have any opinion on this Brad but what what do you think of Bryce Dallas Howard coming on board to try to uh you know uh, give, give uh The Navigator another flight
2: uh yeah she's shown promise as a director um we like you said you know her first episode for Mandalorian wasn't that great her second episode um prove to be much better i think she's got potential and giving her i think a movie like this is uh a way to like to see what she's got as far as you know big screen directing potential is concerned so i say i say why not you know let's let's see if she can follow in the footsteps of uh, old ronnie howard
1: yeah i'm also wondering how do you reboot or remake flight of the navigator is it a legacy equal or is it, it? It seems like it's going to be a remake. And I'm.
2: If, it, if it's just a straight remake, I don't think it needs to be uh, a legacy equal. You know, the, the, I don't think that really adds much to it. If anything, it would be a weird coincidence if it was a legacy equal and they <laughs> kind of had the, the same story again. Um, but I think that there's a whole different perspective, I think, that comes from modern because, uh, you know, I don't think that. Back when that movie was made, technology moved as fast as does today. So missing out on on something like eight years uh, in today's oh, yeah. society is much different than missing out on eight years, you know, back in the what was it, the seventies, the eighties?
1: Yeah, I think it was the uh, mid eighties in nineteen eighty six.
2: Yeah, so I think that, that that in itself is an interesting concept that it, it that would be um, add another layer to just how eerie and you know uh, confusing. That world would be, you know, coming back just that amount of time later.
1: Yeah. Anyways, Brad, I I think you should watch Flight of the Navigator. I'm, I'm, it's not a good movie. It's not a great movie. <laughs>
2: That's a great way to get me to watch it. <laughs> but it,
1: but it's kind of like one of those things, like the black hole that I feel like you need to see just because it's this weird Disney thing that shouldn't exist.
2: That's fair.
1: Yeah. Anyways, um, you know, let, let's talk about. You, you mentioned technology evolving and you know TVs are evolving in our homes we we now have uh TVs that are like 80 90 inches i have a i have a projector in my living room that is like i don't even know how big it is it's 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 like the size of a wall but uh you well, the know the projector
2: it, isn't but the image is
1: yeah the image is yes exactly the projector is like a foot big, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, the, the, these TVs are growing, and I I don't know how it's happening. I I, I guess it's you know just the evolution of technology. Uh, tell us about the latest one.
2: So LG is introducing a massive television, and we're not just talking massive. You know, when as far as you know, big TVs are concerned, this is an unfathomably big TV that no normal person. Uh, will be able to afford. You'd have to be either Jeff Bezos or Steven Spielberg to buy this TV because it costs $1.7 million, and that's because it is a 325-inch wide television. It is the size of a wall, basically. You'd have to have an entire free wall to fit this TV in your house. It displays an 8K resolution. It has incredible uh, stunning imagery to display here. And Wait, how,
1: how do you get this into your house? That would not even fit in a doorway.
2: This is the kind of thing where if you want it, you have to have it custom installed because you're not, yeah, you're not going to be able to do it yourself or if you. If you <laughs> but buy not even it, custom
1: installed. I feel like you need to like have it like built when you're building the home because there's no way to get it into the house otherwise.
2: I mean, that's what you probably have to have it. Yeah, built inside of the house. I maybe it comes in like separate panels or something like that.
1: Oh yeah, maybe you're right.
2: Yeah, yeah um, like a like one of those big jumbotron screens that they have at like sports stadiums and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like I mean, this isn't the kind of thing like you're gonna find in a house anyway. Like it's gonna be like in a theater, home theater that is built for a millionaire, or like you know something that is in a, a probably a conference room or maybe even that like convention centers use and stuff like that.
1: I don't know, Brad. I'm looking at these concept art or maybe their actual images in the article on SlashFilm.com, and it shows them in just like really ritzy like living rooms like it's not I mean, like a, a home theater setup it it's
2: yeah like a a rich person like will be able to afford this it has to be a, a really rich person though and like and i guess like what makes Wait, it how much is it? It's 1.7 million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Um so like it's it's only for the super rich so uh, i yeah, i don't know it's, it's kind of baffling it's it's cool on one level you know, i would love to see it and see how how great it looks, um, especially with the 8K resolution. But yeah, this is just—it's crazy to me that we progressed <laughs> to this point where, like, that a someone felt it was necessary to make a TV this big, and b somebody out there will probably buy it.
1: I feel like every year they have that NAB show in Las Vegas where, like, one of the the big TV manufacturers shows off like their latest and greatest big TV, like concept TV. And it, it's been getting bigger and bigger, but nowhere near this size. But the,
2: <laughs> just, for, just for comparison, it's just shy of being the length of a first down in football and it's <laughs> half the height of the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles. The sign that you can see uh... from almost anywhere in Los Angeles.
1: <laughs> I just, my question to you, Brad, is how many of these TVs does LG actually expect to sell?
2: I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that they're probably made to order. Like they're probably not going to make them and have them just sitting around and being like, "Well, someone will buy these eventually." Um, but like I think that's why I am betting that these is, this is probably something that they're assuming that like stadiums will buy or like yeah. uh convention centers will buy, maybe maybe even like hotels, you know, for their their lobbies or for conference rooms or or something like that. Like, this has to have a much more of a a, a professional appeal rather than you know just appealing to those who have millions of dollars lying around to spend
1: what happens when the TV breaks like, I just
2: don't know well, so the, uh, funnily, that you say that is that apparently uh, when you buy this TV, it comes with a complimentary five-year customer service package, and uh, that's that in itself is something that LG values at thirty thousand dollars. So just wow. the, just the customer service package for five years is as much as a decent new car. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think my projector was like fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> so
2: yeah, this is this is a little more pricey
1: yeah you know what when my if my projector bulb goes out brad i could just buy a new bulb or if my projector breaks i can just buy a new projector uh it hasn't broken in you know seven years so, i wonder
2: what, i wonder what, yeah i wonder what the warranty deal is on yeah TV like this
1: because after they discontinue it because you, you don't think they're going to be still be making this in five years right like how yeah okay anyways let's move on I, in,
2: in five years i'm sure we'll all have 325 inch
1: tvs yeah sure <laughs> Uh, there's been some changes at Disneyland recently. I, we, we've talked on the podcast about, uh, they made, they've recently made some changes to the jungle cruise, uh, not related to the film. I mean, the, the film is based on the ride, but the, the changes aren't related to the film. Uh, they took out some, uh, problematic and racist depictions in that ride and they've been doing that, uh, around the park. You know, they, they've announced that they are going to be replacing Splash mountain with a ride based on Princess and the Frog uh, giving more diversity to uh, Disney parks and taking out uh, you know that that movie that had uh, uh, some some issues and <laughs> uh, you know in Pirates of the Caribbean uh, I think probably like ten years ago they t- turned uh, red who was originally uh, being sold at auction into a pirate character who is probably gonna be the the lead of the next movie, whenever they actually get that going. Um, The latest change comes in Toontown in Disneyland. Uh, Toontown was built around the time that, uh, right after uh, Roger Rabbit hit theaters. And it's actually based on like, uh, it's Mickey Mouse's Toontown, but they have a Roger Rabbit ride. It's called Cartoon Spin, which to be honest with you, Brad, you know, I go to Disneyland, you know, couple times a month and i've been on this ride many times and i it never occurred to me that this ride's title is actually car space tune spin (laughs) i just thought it was cartoon spin but it's, it's a ride where you get into benny the cab and it spins around it's like a teacup on a dark ride it spins around as you go through uh some of the story of roger rabbit anyways um long story short they last week, uh, without any announcement, there was a change made in the ride. Uh, and, um, actually one of my friends, uh, the Cali Bay on Instagram, he discovered this. Uh, it was, so the seeming question, Jessica Rabbit is in the back of a, a car trunk and one of the weasels is about to lock her in the trunk and she's in her, you know, cocktail singing outfit, the very, uh, skimpy sexy outfit from that movie uh but she's also tied up and in 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 a compromising position they've replaced her with uh some barrels of dip and there's another figure of her in the ride where she's just in her outfit standing up i think she's like tied up standing up and uh they're apparently going to be replacing her with a version where she's wearing a detective outfit so she's wearing like one of those you know old school like uh i guess trench coat kind of things so she's all covered up and apparently disney you know because uh some people noticed this disney actually had to come out and explain what was going on and they are changing the ride they're changing the storyline of the ride basically jessica rabbit is becoming the newest private eye in mickey's toontown and the 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 ride is actually going to get renamed we don't know what the rename is going to be but i'm guessing it's going to be jessica rabbit's cartoon spin and um Brad, it, you're someone that you know that doesn't go to theme parks much, uh, y- but you've heard about all this, like news of you know Disney introducing their fifth key, the inclusivity key, which has kind of led to these kind of changes.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense because it's who Framed Brother Rabbit isn't necessarily a movie that is geared fully towards <laughs> kids. You know, it has some rather risky elements, especially the presentation of like Jessica Rabbit herself. You know, and just the way she's drawn was always meant to call attention to like her physique and making her this sexy vixen, you know, like just the same way that, that you had, um, you know, the, the femme fatales of film noirs and things like that. So the fact that she's drawn with, to have such a voluptuous figure and like, because her, you know, her breasts are so prominent, like that's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily want flashed around in a theme park where there's a bunch of kids around. And so now that they've kind of like started to, recognize more of an idea of like how you know women in certain movies have been like uh, objectified and over sexualized they probably want to pull that out of the theme park a little bit you know so i i think it makes sense and yeah i would imagine they probably aren't prepared to like overhaul that ride or do something completely different with it so this is a change that allows them to keep it for the most part and not have to do anything super drastic at least until you know, maybe Who Framed Roger Rabbit becomes a little less relevant and they decide to do something else with it. But that's that's probably your area of expertise more than, than mine.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think you said it very well there and you explained it. I, I think for me, it's just the baffling part is not that they're doing this because um, everything you said makes sense. It's just that there's other rides like, you know, right down the street from here in Fantasyland, there's a Peter Pan ride that still has some depictions of native americans that you know that should be fixed up and
2: i would i would imagine if anything maybe like the i'm sure that i'm sure they're intending to address like everything yeah. as quickly as they can maybe they have like a list of stuff that they get more complaints about or more questions about <laughs> than anything and so that's and i i wouldn't be surprised to to find out people more outraged about like prominent sexuality at disneyland as opposed as opposed to being outraged about outdated (laughs) depictions of native americans because that's just how big of assholes americans can be (laughs)
1: yeah sadly sadly true okay let's move let's move on to star wars probably everybody's sitting around uh to, to listen to us talk about that uh star wars visions is the new star wars anime series coming to disney plus and the first early buzz has hit the web Brad, have you seen this
2: I haven't got a chance to watch it. I have screeners waiting for me, and I just haven't had time, but I'm, I'm hoping to get around to watch it this weekend.
1: Yeah. Uh, w- what are people saying?
2: Uh, the early buzz is great so far. Um, the visuals are especially at the center of a lot of the praise. People are calling it visually stunning, and uh, just the, the new style that it brings to Star Wars is the kind of creative and original approach to storytelling within the universe that they've wanted to see for a long time uh the anime influences are clear there's especially excitement about the uh the stories that call back to George Lucas's love for Akira Kurosawa which obviously influenced the original Star Wars movies uh one short in particular that people really seem to like is The Duel and that seems to be the one that does uh come um that much closer to emulating Akira Kurosawa's uh cinema style uh that influenced Star Wars so much and uh yeah overall this is it's very um very good reactions from, from critics so far. The lightsaber duels are particularly uh, outstanding. There's some more unique stories that people aren't expecting to see in Star Wars that get told because of um, just kind of the stories that anime has been used to tell over the years. So it sounds like the, exactly the kind of uh, creative injection that Star Wars needs to make it a little bit more interesting and stand out from what we've come to expect from the franchise.
1: Well, very cool. Uh, Also on Disney Plus, they're getting the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries or show, whatever it's going to be. And we learned a little bit about that recently. Tell us about it.
2: So this is going to be a a big series, obviously, because we have Ewan McGregor coming back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have Hayden Christensen back as... uh, Darth Vader, and it's going to tell this uh, limited story that takes place in between the events of Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars, but so much of it is shrouded in mystery right now. We don't know a lot about the story, uh, many of the new characters, uh, but Soon Kang, who has a role in the Obi-Wan show, uh, he plays Han in the Fast and Furious franchise, recently let a little detail spill about his character that should uh, get people excited and also raise some questions, maybe some eyebrows. Uh, as to who he will be playing because in an interview uh, while he was making the promotional rounds for the recent home video release of F9, he mentioned uh, that he his character has a lightsaber. And that's intriguing because there are only so many characters in the Star Wars universe who have wielded lightsabers who are not Jedi. Uh, General Grievous is one of them, probably one of the more... well. Uh, famous- Wait a
1: second, back up for a second oh, for people okay, that probably sorry. don't know. But this takes place in at a point in the timeline that there is how many Jedi left? One?
2: not not one. Or two, two? Yeah, very very few because it this takes it takes place after Order 66 was executed and the clone troopers executed most of the Jedi.
1: So it is possible that there's still you know, we saw like uh some Jedi did survive that and like rebels and stuff so like that. Um did Well I was
2: I was gonna get to that, but yeah. OK, yes. so, so it it is possible that there are some Jedi out there uh, and soon Kang could be playing one of them. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this is a character that isn't a Jedi and maybe uh, more on the villainous spectrum of characters.
1: Oh, OK. Well, speaking of rebels, there was in, in that series, Darth Vader had a group of people that were trying to kill the last of the Jedi. They were called the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. Is that w- what you were alluding to?
2: That's what I'm thinking. Um, It it makes the most sense. I I can't imagine that they're going to introduce a new character who wields a lightsaber that um, isn't a Jedi and also is something completely different than what we've seen before. And I think that there would be a lot of excitement that comes from introducing the Inquisitors into the live action universe, just as we've seen other characters from Clone Wars come into the Star Wars universe by way of the Mandalorian. It kind of seems like that's. Lucasfilm's M.O. right now, especially by way of Dave Filoni, is bringing some of the animated lore of Star Wars into live action to help expand it in a way where fans are still getting something familiar, but then others that maybe aren't as attuned to the animated side of Star Wars are also getting something new.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that all makes sense. And you can't have Darth Vader as the villain for the whole series. So you need to have like mini bosses, which I'm guessing. And they
2: they have to be characters that can stand up to Obi-Wan and... By far, the strongest characters that we've seen in Star Wars so far who can easily uh, shake a stick or a lightsaber at Obi-Wan are the Sith Inquisitors.
1: Yeah. Okay, lastly, let's talk about this thing about Boba Fett's ship name. This has been going on for quite some time online. I don't think we have really covered it on the podcast before, but for many years, Boba Fett's ship was called the Slave One, and now it seems like that might be changing or might not be changing. Brad, what do we know?
2: Yeah, it doesn't really seem like it. This, this is a little bit of older news, but it's it's been kicked around a lot recently and something that we uh, cover just to kind of clear the air. And, you know, as uh, something that's leading up to the Book of Boba Fett coming later this year, it seems like a topic that some people are are interested in. So like like you said, Boba Fett's ship has been called Slave One for a long time. But funnily enough, that name has never, ever been said in the Star Wars movies or anything like that. So it's not necessarily something that is a detail that is widely known to general audiences, but is something that Star Wars fans are very much uh, attuned to. Uh, That name goes all the way back to when uh, Jango Fett owned the ship and then when Boba Fett inherited after his death, it was still Slave One. But uh, earlier this year, there was an interview with a couple of Lego Star Wars uh, designers who had mentioned kind of offhandedly that Disney had instructed them to only refer to Boba Fett's ship, Slave One, as Boba Fett's starship, not actually saying it by name, and a lot of people understood that to mean that Disney was kind of going out of their way to make sure merchandise didn't really have that name attached to the ship, assumably or rather presumably because of insensitive cultural references, because the idea of having a ship kind of named after the cruel concept of slavery doesn't really seem like uh, the best look, you know? Yeah, um, so they if you look on like Lego boxes or anything like that, it says Boba Fett's starship. And that's not entirely weird or out of the ordinary because plenty of other ships that don't have controversial names have had a much more simplified description on their Lego boxes, such as general Grievous's ship or Darth Vader or Darth Maul's ship. They, uh, they all have specific names, but they're referred to as, you know, Darth Vader or Darth shit, Darth Maul's Sith interceptor or general Grievous's <laughs> yeah. starship and stuff like that. Um, but one thing that kind of fueled, uh, the fires of fans thinking that Disney might be looking to give the ship a new name entirely uh, was something that happened with the, uh, a variant uh, series of comic covers for the comic book series, star Wars war of the bounty hunters. And in one of these variant covers for the comic that was created by uh, artist Paolo Vianelli um, it listed each of the bounty hunters, uh, the ones that we know from the empire strikes back and their respective ships. Uh, But when it listed their ships, it didn't list what type of ship they had, it listed the actual name of the ship. And the name of the ship next to Boba Fett's name was merely Firespray. Uh, And if you're not a seasoned Star Wars fan, then you might assume, oh, yeah, that sounds like a cool name for a ship. But Firespray is actually the classification of the ship that Boba Fett drives. It's... um, it's no, it's a. There's a limited a number of these ships, at least in the old Star Wars legend legends canon, because Jango Fett stole this ship from a prison moon called Uvo IV. Um, but it'd be weird to call the ship Fire Spray because that would be like calling the Millennium Falcon Corellian YT-1300 <laughs> F light freighter. You know. Yeah. So unless they're planning on changing up those little details and making it that the so that that Fire Spray is more of a legit name for the ship, uh, that doesn't seem to be like an official change, especially since. The official Star Wars databank that Lucasfilm controls online still lists the name as Slave One and has not changed it to Firespray. So yeah, until we hear official word from from Lucasfilm, uh, I would just assume that the ship is still called Slave One and it will be until they decide to change it. And if anything, it could be something that they even address in the Book of Boba Fett, either by coming up with some kind of reason that the ship is called slave one that gives significance to it, maybe as like a tribute to a certain character or as a way of defying, uh, you know, a, a slave master who maybe, um, you know, had a run in with Django Fett or something like that. Um, or they could just come up with a new name entirely as something that Boba Fett did to rename the ship, you know, since coming back. Um, but since we're going to be seeing flashbacks to things that happened with Boba Fett, uh, in the past before his return of the Mandalorian, there's a lot of room there for them to do something if they really wanted to with the name of that ship.
1: For sure. Um, we should point out that a lot of things in Star Wars are actually not said in the movies. So like uh, the word Ewok never said in the movies, <laughs> but we all know what Ewoks are. Um that said, I do think this is significant to report because if if they are changing it, it will it would be significant if they actually do change it. It's worth mentioning because it was mentioned it was named that in Legends.
2: Yes, but I would like to say if but, they do, if they do change the name and it's something that comes out, this is not that big of a deal. It's not anything yeah. to get up in arms about. It's the name of a ship. It's not going to change the course of your life. <laughs> it's not going to ruin anything for you. So, like, if you're really upset about the ship. If it gets changed from the name Slave One, uh, I suggest a little bit of reevaluation.
1: Yeah, I, I was just going to say that exact thing is like Slave One had no meaning story wise. Maybe it did when George Lucas came up with it, but you know. If it, if it
2: did, it was never explained either yeah. way. Even during the time of Star Wars Legends, there was never any reason given as to why it was named that.
1: Yeah, and it was never said. You know, on screen. So I, I think uh, I'm fine with them changing the name of Slave one. Um But, yeah. And
2: especially since even in Star Wars Legends, it became kind of like a meaningless thing anyway because eventually Boba Fett got Slave Two, So it's like, who, <laughs> who cares?
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that does it for today's Slash One Daily. You can find more of all of our work at You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.com. And please head on over to our Apple podcast page. Uh, Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday.